getting Australians to eat more seafood, really, and Australian seafood is really the key for us because I, I think the discerning market in Australia does recognise the quality, but it's, it's been a long time coming just to, to get to this position. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. The Southern Rock Lobster, Jassus edwasi, also called Red Rock Lobster or Spiny Rock Lobster, is a species of spiny lobster found throughout the coastal waters of Southern Australia and New Zealand. Internationally, Southern Rock Lobsters represent a narrow minority of world lobster production at around 6% and therefore are a rare and highly valuable crustacean. Rock lobsters resemble common lobsters found in Europe or North America, but have a spiny shell and lack the large characteristic pincers on the first pair of walking legs. Mature southern rock lobster can weigh from 800 grams up to 10 kilos, although the most valuable are considered the ones below 2 kilos. Boasting a sweet, delicate, firm white flesh with a rich sea spray flavour and a generous meat-to-shell ratio, almost double that of other lobster species, Australian Southern Rock Lobster is one of the world's most indulgent food experiences. The fishery is underpinned by stringent catching and handling regulations to ensure the lobsters arrive at their destination in peak condition. A strict catch quota policy ensures undersized lobsters are returned to the ocean, while a system of limited licenses, boats and pot numbers helps avoid overfishing. Trade in live exports of rock lobster exploded in the early 1980s as the lobsters were discovered by discerning diners in China and Hong Kong and accounted for the majority of shipments out of Australia up until the COVID period. Since then, the industry has had to pivot to new markets, new products and new ideas. Andrew Ferguson is a career South Australian lobsterman who typifies the creativity, professionalism and innovation of this exciting fishery. Yeah, it all started for me uh, leaving school. Uh, I'd always been keen on fishing. My father was a fisherman. My school holidays up until I decided to go and do it permanently as a deckhand on a cray boat out of Cape Jaffa. Uh, we'd, we'd work in the Christmas holidays and whatnot, but I started in 75, left school and went fishing with Dad and, and sort of fished for five years with Dad and decided to buy a fishing boat on my own in 1980 and uh, sort of my career I guess in fishing started then. Yeah dad was fishing out of Cape Jaffa, uh, Kingston Cape Jaffa, the lobster port there was 30 boats fishing or 33 I think at that time out of Cape Jaffa, a little port between Robe and Kingston uh, and uh, yeah and I spent uh, well, a lot of my fishing career out of, out of Cape Jaffa actually uh, before um, moving I suppose in 19... 88, 89, we moved up into the northern zone off Kangaroo Island, Victor Harbour actually, we fished out of there for uh, oh, a lot of, a number of years, 10 years, um, but uh, yeah, fished, fished a lot of the South Australian lobster waters, uh, you know, going through a period of technology changes with new technology coming in like uh, sat, satellite navigation and then GPS colour sounders uh, and you know new ground finding new ground it was it was was really interesting times John those days we, we the, the means of uh, navigation were really reliant on the on the sounder your, your sum log your, your, and your compass so it meant uh, steering for long distance and hopefully you weren't off course and then getting out the binoculars and when you got there you know you were looking for a flag and your first lot of pots and uh, 
you know, it wasn't always easy. If there was a bit of wind or a bit of tide or something like that, you know, off out of uh, the southeast or Cape Jaffa in those days, is the sand hills are low and there's not many radar marks, no radar marks really. So you just l- reliant on that. 1983, we, we built a new boat, a new aluminium boat out of Western Australia, and it was a fast boat. It could cruise at 20 knots, which was, was uh, you know, something unusual in those days. And we had we put on uh, technology, new technology. Uh, it wasn't GPS, it was sat, transit sat nav. But you had to dead reckon for a, for a period of time in between satellites, and the accuracy of that you know, came important, the speed of the boat and the compass and all those sort of things. But that meant we could explore ground outside of 30 or 40 miles where no one had sort of been and we did quite well in, in those grounds and, and being able to fish it regularly and go back to all these spots was uh, was was really good i remember leaving um the western west or 30 miles off cape jaffa and heading west with a load of pots on one day and just headed with steam to about five o'clock and i started getting worried i couldn't run over any bottom and we were out about 70 or 80 miles and, I, and suddenly a piece of bottom popped up and I threw all the pots off and uh, went, and then couldn't find any more bottoms. Stayed the night there on the gear, pulled the pots in the morning, the 30 pots and this bit of, little bit of bottom that really would have taken only 15, 10 or 15 pots. But the pots that landed on the bottom were all full and uh, I think we ended up with about 200 kilos out of, out of, the, out of the 30 pots we took. And uh, But at the same time, we a new boat and... The rest of it, the uh, we could hear a clang on the bottom of the boat, and, I, and every time we turned the rudder, the uh, the boat would make a hell of a shudder and a noise. Anyway, I jumped over the side and I saw the the skeg bearing was all broken and come away from the bottom of the hull, and I gingerly steamed it back to rope to go up in the slip, and we welded it up. And on the way back into road, we ran over this piece of bottom like a big hill inside of where we were, and uh, that was the start of uh, some. Uh, really good fishing. It was a, there was a lot of ground there, and we fished there for about two or three years on our own, and did quite well until you know someone else found us out there. But that was a bit of a story, you know. Really, my life we, of, of fishing, I enjoyed getting out and about and trying to be away from everyone else and trying to find new pieces of bottom. But you know, technology catches up, and later on in nineteen. 90 GPS came in and, and sort of everyone then became better fishermen because they could find where they were or they found their little spots and that sort of changed the whole fishery really. That's probably the biggest change in the fishery that I, I can think of that, that you know advanced everyone to fishing more of the grounds and continually going back to where they where they previously fished. The drive to catch more lobsters more efficiently and more consistently is a hallmark of Andrew Ferguson's approach to not merely fishing, but also to his business. Oh, look, it, 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 was, a, it was a challenge to start off with. I, I remember not of having not that flash of catches, really, and, and really being able to sort of knuckle down and, and understand how to put it all together. It took probably a month or so to, to, to try to find my way, but once you found your way and you knew what you are looking for, uh, you know, because you were pretty, it was pretty intensive. We were getting in late at night and things like that. But once you, once you know, it's a long time ago now. That's sort of forty odd, forty five years ago. Uh, it, it's a, it was a, it was a bit of a, a stress because I was a, I was only 20, 20, 21, I think it was. Uh, you, um, we, uh, really, really, it was rewarding though when we eventually worked it out and and did quite well. 
uh, and then continue to do well for a while. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'd look at there's nothing better than that, that sort of feeling uh, in fishing. If, you're, if you can achieve what you want to achieve and, 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 and continually having good catches is, is really the reward in it. I guess the, the, the changes that I saw that I, I, I thought I should take it or try, to try and do something about it, I mean, it was very sort of frustrating that we'd come in with a large catch of lobsters and they'd be the wrong colour or the wrong size for the market, predominantly in those days as it was, a, you know, Chinese-dominated sort of like it is now, I suppose. Now, we're looking particularly for the smaller lobsters, the smaller lobsters around the kilo and anything up to about one and a half, two kilos maybe, but it was... It was more distinctive the the, uh, the market than what it is now, and the larger lobsters in the catch were particularly a problem. If we had a, la- a large volume of large lobsters, we you don't the fish buyers just wouldn't take them. So I I looked at that and thought, well, you must be able to do something about that. So and it was you know I was you know nineteen I think it's nineteen eighty nine nineteen ninety nine two thousand. We looked at um, some research and we did a bit of a, um, a business course, my wife and myself, Debbie, and decided to go and get a grant, a Oz Industry grant as it turned out, to look at in processing some product out of these larger lobsters for the, uh, for the marketplace because they were quite cheap. Uh, you know, compared, Well, even compared to now, they were sort of $20 to $30 a kilo, the larger lobsters. And... What could we do with it? So we, we st- took a year or so and did some, with a Centre of um, Technology in Queensland helped us, actually. Uh, we, did, we came up with the lobster medallions, the sashimi tail, and some lobster an lobster oil recipe, which was actually lobster oil recipe came, came out of a chef in Adelaide. But putting all this together meant that we had a project that we could run out across the marketplace and, and, and sort of commercialised. Um, yeah, that took a while to pull together and finding markets for these products, where would we go? And we, we, we initially, well, sure, off the bat, really thought of Europe. And we, do, we weren't sort of thinking of China. We, we sort of thought of a more of a sophisticated marketplace and visit, started visiting the Brussels Seafood Show in 2003, which to my mind or our mind was sort of the biggest show in the world and probably the more, most sophisticated and, the, the, and you could learn a little bit as well about what everyone else was doing and where the where the innovation was going in in the seafood industry, and of course I remember John you being there as well at different times, looking at the same things I suppose, and uh, visiting the UK and visit and visiting a whole lot of different stores and and trying to get ideas and insights of where we would go and basically we're lucky enough to win awards in 2004, which was a top awards at the Brussels Seafood Show, and it automatically. You know, opened a marketplace in the south of France and uh, some really good restaurants, Alain de Case and uh, Joel Rubichon, these type of people that uh, wanted quality product. And and we did quite well, really, as I think back fairly quickly with that, with that product and still focused on Europe and sort of visited Europe a number of times up until about 2011, I suppose it was. And, and, in, and it, somewhere in that time, we had a um, global financial crisis, 2008. And we were already, I guess, visiting uh, the marketplace in China with a live lobster component of our catch. But about that time, it just sort of it changed, really. It just all started going to China. And, uh, and it has been sort of ever since until, until the last few years. Mm-hmm. 
Fed by the nutrient-rich waters uprising from Antarctica, Southern Rock Lobster is a slow-growing, selective feeder. It's harvested using one of the most advanced and innovative sustainable wild fishing programs in the world, with most of the catch exported live, mostly to North Asia, in particular to China, where it's highly regarded as a premium shellfish. More recently, it has been directed back into the domestic Australian markets and to other exports in Europe and North America. Yeah, so Southern Rock Lobster is a, is a very unique lobster in the world. It's for, the, for those who love lobster, and you know the Chinese seem to be the biggest consumers of it, they have a, a real liking for the red lobster, our lobster, Southern Rock Lobster. And I, I guess that in part is because it was one of the very first lobsters to be exported worldwide into China. In a, in a, in a, in a, and the transition happened in about 1988-89 when we switched from the American tail market to the live market uh, in Hong Kong, actually. And it all came about from a couple of innovative fishermen at Robe and, and, uh, and maybe Von Stanky's at Carpenter's Rock. Some of these, some of these earlier f- uh, factories that were, were innovative and looked at sending lobsters live into Hong Kong and... It just took off. It took off overnight, and you know, then then there was lobsters going in through Shenzhen and into China, uh, and the price went from ten dollars a kilo pretty much overnight as well to te- to twenty dollars a kilo, which made the American tail market unviable, and the likes of Safco, who were big players in those games, just they just went out of business. They stopped dealing in lobsters. It switched, and that that happened pretty quickly. Like I said, over over a year. Quite, quite remarkable, and that I think has been uh, part of the branding that we don't sort of we just take for granted now. That China was the, was the first live market that we had, but it's been there for so long. And if you look at the Canadian lobster and even the WA species, you know, it, the WA species has been there nowhere as long as Southern Rock Lobster, but China's. Uh, insatiable appetite for lobster is sort of brought in all these other species from the world now, and you know there's, there's obviously um, a, you know spiny lobster from other parts of the world, from Cuban lobsters all over the place, just with different seasonal alignment. And of course, New Zealand, the Southern Rock lobster as well. So they they um, they do they do have this liking for it, and they because I think one of the reasons they they like our product the best because the taste colour and, and it's been in the market for a long time. It's a known product. Why is Southern Rock Lobster the, the best lobster in the world? Well, it's the flavour. My, my, I mean, having tasted like you have, John, as well, all these other lobsters, I just, it is, it is definitely a unique flavour. It's a, it's a, it's a great characteristic of its flavour. I note that we do have saltier water in Australia and around this region. We're, we're running it uh, a lot saltier uh, 36 ppk which is uh, a lot saltier than you'd find in the northern hemisphere where there's freshwater runoff so maybe that's got something to do with it um, but I'm I'm really guessing to say why does it taste better um, it, it's very hardy too uh, as far as living out of the water it, if, if it's if it's treated properly and it's not always uh, if it's kept cool and, the, and it's and, and it goes through the supply chain in the appropriate manner, it, it can live out of water for, I mean, we've just sent lobsters to, uh, to France, actually, honey, recently, uh, a couple of days ago, more going, and that's that's over 40 hours. But, you know, if the supply chain is, is 
you know, looked after and, and adhered to, yeah, it, it's a, it is a very hardy product. The Fergusons have been at the forefront of both product and market development, identifying the need to extract more value and utilisation of their lobsters. They embarked on the development of a range of innovative products well before many in the industry even started to consider anything but live or cooked. Using their extensive network of local fishers, Ferguson's then set about developing a broader range of uniquely South Australian seafoods for retail and food service distribution. Yeah, well, it's it's sort of easy to easy to get caught up in the commodity trade of live lobsters into China because it's it, it is consuming, it consumes your time, and you know certainly, but there are there are a lot of issues with that, and and uh, really getting the perishable product to that marketplace is is always a challenge. I guess one of the things I learned early and why we sort of have, have gone down the track of value adding was I, early in the early days, of, I had a, um, a fish shop in uh, Victor Harbour um, uh, with, with, from a, with a fisherman friend of mine uh, we, we set up and, and I learned very quickly there's two, two components to wet fish counters is, is the waste and the smell and the bacteria that, that sort of go very quickly uh, you know, into all sorts of places you don't expect, and then the smell creates a smell. So really, once the, once the product, the fillets are sitting in the ice, you've only got a few days. So you know that was a learning learning lesson a lesson learned from myself, really, which way we go in the future. I suppose with high foot traffic and a uh, lot of uh, you know in a, in a density dense population, you can serve fresh fish. But some of the locations they want a variety of fish and. You know, and, and have an offer, and I think that's where we've that's where we've sort of targeted that sort of um, opportunity. Um, and looking at the species we do now, we've 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 gone down uh, and looked at the uh, the lesser known species, which are a bit cheaper. But once again, the challenge of that is to getting is educating people's taste buds to something different. And it's it, it, to my mind, it's all good quality product. Uh, the local market seems to, uh, you know, be aligned with the likes of King George Whiting, Flathead, Garfish, and Snapper. But you start to get thin on the ground with people's understanding of, of course, salmon uh, and, and the aquaculture species. But you know, that's that's been that is one of the challenges for us now is is uh, getting uh, getting recognition from the consumer for for all the species. Uh, of course, the price is a bit cheaper, but. It's uh, fishes are on, and you know, John. I would imagine you've had the same challenges in your your years too. But uh, it's it, it's it's where we're at at the moment. Catching lobsters requires skill, commitment, and time. Being able to develop a range of value-added products similarly requires a commitment of time, energy, and resources. Building markets for new seafood products is an equally tiring task, which further demands commitment and time. Doing all three activities, and in particular building markets that don't know where the seafood comes from, let alone the species, is a huge challenge. We seem to have done very well in South Australia with the product into the, all the independents and breaking into uh, Victoria and New South Wales. Export, yeah, yeah look, it's, it, it is a hard yeah, it is hard to say. I, I'm, we've got success in a couple of places, but gee, it's it's taken a little while. And you know, you you, you get questions like, "Can you get me Dover sole or something like that?" Where you know the, the species are just we just don't have we just don't have English species, and and so 
uh, it is difficult. It's not as easy as you think. I think the American market's probably the probably about is going the best for us in a few stores we've got there. Uh, but you know, then then it's sort of particularly good with likes of scallops um, and kingfish. Uh, but not all not all the ranges. Oh, a redfish, bite redfish. Yes, that's a that's that's going okay. But you start getting away from into uh, our boarfish is known as well, so there are there are similarities with with some of the species, but not not the likes of nitrile. Ocean jackets is one that we're really keen to push uh, because there's a good volume of that that product, and to my mind, it's a great eating species. So you know, the, the, yes, you're right. It's, it's, it, it is challenging outside the marketplace that don't know the species for sure. The China market has been hugely attractive to many in the rock lobster fishing industry. High prices, a single customer, and seemingly an insatiable appetite for their fish. But as China opened up to the global supply of seafood, the market became more competitive, and the demand for certain grades and seasons changed. Further, the onset of COVID and the closing of the China borders has meant that the fishermen have had to seek markets elsewhere. It's become an imperative for Ferguson's to pivot to other markets and other sectors away from exclusively the food service sector in China. I'm, you know, I'll be disappointed if we we get go back to China 100. Uh, percent I'm, we need to really think about the Western, uh, Western market. The Western market uh, doesn't necessarily want live lobster. The theatre that in tanks and the difficulties in dealing with it in the short amount of time you've got to order and, and, and specifically the, the Western market to my mind is looking for a high value, high quality product at a reasonable value, but really designed around the needs of whatever they're using it for. And, and that's, up, that's our job to, to work that out. I mean, we're finding a lot of wineries and everyone wants but want people that want good quality product on the menu, serve it simply, but be able to take it out of the freezer at their leisure. But know that it's going to be consistent in the quality they're, they're, they're the that's they're the things that we are thinking about and as for the the market at the moment with the cheaper look i think that we we all should be talking about australian product and and you know if if, if we've got a sacrifice which we have over the last couple of years of a you know prior that you know the consumer wins out of that but uh, you know getting australians to eat more seafood really and australian seafood is really the key for us because I, I think the discerning market in Australia does recognise the quality, but it's, it's been a long time coming just to, to get to this position. Business challenges can be debilitating. Maintaining a positive outlook can be difficult at times. Within the southern rock lobster industry, there are many sad tales. Andrew Ferguson is, in the face of challenge and COVID and the Chinese trade sanctions, pivoted to a new business model, new markets and new opportunities seemingly without missing a step. I'm, I, I'm excited when we when we do see the trends now changing a little bit. Um, I think the, the, what, what we've done the last three years, as you know, Roger Drake, Drake Supermarks in South Australia, use, use them as an example, I suppose. I said, look, we've got Roger, we've got this problem, of, of the China problem with our lobsters. Is it worth a go? You're selling some cooked lobsters in your supermarket. I said, oh, you know, and I talked to his buying people. They said, Andrew, we've never sold any more than 50 kilos of, of cooked lobsters in our shops the whole time long. I said, but we'll have, and Roger Drake said, we'll give it a go, give us a price, we'll have a look at it. And, he, and they were tentatively looking to order some, and they were talking about two or three tonne for Christmas, and this is, this is uh, 
a couple of years ago now. <coughs> and uh, I put the orders in and they were absolutely, um, they, they did so well, they had to order more. And we were cooking right up night and day up until Christmas. I think they ended up doing 16 tonne. And, and that really has turned things around for them. So here we are at Christmas again in the same situation. They've de they definitely got to have lobsters in their supermarkets, which they would never have had before. But it's opened up another category for them. But not only that, they're, 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 they've got people coming into their stores for, for, for lobsters but buying other things so they can see the benefit of benefits. So it's some of it shifting, you know, not only is fishmongers now, it's into the supermarket. So that, that sort of opens up an opportunity for us as well. So that, that's something that on, on the good side, I'd say, that's happened out of this um, China situation. I mean, the amount of people that talk, talk to me, we haven't had lobsters for years and, and great. We were able to have lobster for Christmas. Um, <clears throat> of course, prices had a bit to do with it to get the reactivation. But if I look, you look back at the other proteins in, on the supermarket shelf like uh, Wagyu and those which are selling in these supermarkets, there's not a great deal of price difference. So, you know, it, it, it has reactivated, like you said, but it, but it's possibly, well, it certainly opened up a new category that the supermarkets did. And, and, and also the, the fish counters are changing with, the, with our value-added other products that, that, offer, that also offer uh, other products other than salmon and uh, barramundi. Diversifying out of reliance on a single product can be a long, hard road with many years spent securing supply of seafood, developing the processing, packaging and distribution. Often this work can lead to naught. And building a range doesn't necessarily result in success. There is an equal need to build markets. A lot of time on the road. I'm, I'm excited for the future because it's just a matter now with our, the, the products we've got in the, you know, the, the amount of SKUs we've got, I think it's about 20 SKUs. It, the, the, the issues for us now are rolling it out, marketing. And we haven't been able to travel for two years, up until the last six months or so. Now now we've, um, we don't have to worry about innovating any more products for the time being. It's just the marketing and that's as we build through Metcash and like across Australia. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm reasonably excited. Not to be self-reliant on live lobsters. That's been a... Um, Oh, been been hard yards at times. The diversity really is important in this business, so that we we've, we've got more strings to our bow than than just uh, you know completely being reliant on live lobsters and and building uh, the retail brands and and uh, up until uh, you know with with uh, you know with with more st st stability in the business is really the key. Fishermen are by nature good on the chat. Their ability to converse with fellow fishermen, their crew, and their customers is legendary. For many fishermen, it's their first love. Oh, I still enjoy um, talking to the fishermen. Um, even when I wasn't fishing, I used to ring the guys on the boats every day and <laughs> just see how they were catching. But I still, I still really enjoy that. I still, I like the fact that um, you know, Kate. Okay, it's really just Kate myself, and Kate's my daughter. She's doing uh, most of the day-to-day uh, -day running of the business. Uh, you know, the girls, are, we've got some good staff and, and really they're doing a great job and they're not reliant on me. I, I feel that I've backed off a fair bit and I can sort of take more enjoyment of the day-to-day -day running of the business and seeing uh, the rewards and happy customers and uh, those sort of things are, is, is, uh, are the reasons I get out of bed. 
The Australian Southern Rock Lobster underscores what is by any standard a highly successful fishery. It is in fact a fantastic good news story based on a sustainable and renewable resource. Ferguson's are a standout South Australian seafood operation, forever innovating, forever building new markets and always with an eye for development. Andrew Ferguson continues to lead the business with commitment and enthusiasm, a great Australian seafood ambassador. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.